I welcome all of the new general authorities. I rejoice in the calls of Elder Oaks and Elder Nelson to the Council of Twelve Apostles. Brother Nelson has touched my heart deeper than any other man. He has held my heart in his hands and has cut into it and sewn in eight bypasses. He and the Lord literally gave me a new heart. And that heart is full of love for him and for Brother Oaks and for all of you. Many years ago, I visited the, for the first time a wooded area of extraordinary natural beauty near Palmyra, New York. This area is known to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as the Sacred Grove. On the day of our visit, the bees were kissing the wild flowers and the soft zephyrs gently rustled the leaves of the great trees. It is a place of perfect peace and serenity. It was easy to believe that the heavens were opened and that the magnificent vision took place there. I refer to the awesome experience of Joseph Smith when he beheld God the Father and his Son Jesus Christ in the spring of 1820. There has been no event more glorious, more controversial, nor more important in the story of Joseph Smith than this vision. It is possibly the most singular event to occur on earth since the resurrection. Those who do not believe it happened find it difficult to explain away. Too much has happened since its occurrence to summarily deny that it ever took place. Some years later, still suffering under the impact of that happening, Joseph said, If I had not experienced what I have, I should not have known it myself. Young Joseph Smith, 14 years of age, lived with his family near Palmyra, New York. In the spring of 1820, Joseph, like many others, was caught up in the religious excitement of the day, desiring to know the truth for himself and encouraged by the epistle of James. He knelt in solitary, fervent prayer in that beautiful grove not far from his home. He was at first violently seized by the power of some actual being from an unseen world. In an effort to extricate himself, he exerted all his powers to call upon God for deliverance from this tremendous evil power. At this point he said, Just at this moment of great alarm I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description. Standing above me in the air, one of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, this is my beloved son, hear him." Close quote. The message that Joseph received from the Father and the Son was that the full truth was not upon the earth, 
and that he should not affiliate with the religions of the day as well as other things of transcending importance which were not written. Joseph stated on that account, Many other things did he say unto me which I cannot write at this time. Obviously, Joseph was overwhelmed by the occasion and the instructions he received. Joseph soon declared this marvelous experience to others outside his family. As a result, much ridicule, contempt, and even hatred was visited upon him. His mother, Lucy Mack Smith, relates that after the first vision, from this time until the 21st of September, 1823, Joseph continued as usual to labor with his father, and nothing occurred during his interval of very great importance. Though he suffered every kind of opposition and persecution from the different orders of religionists, close quote, the prejudice and the hatred pursued Joseph until his martyrdom. Of this experience, Joseph said, I had actually seen a light, and in the midst of that light I saw two personages, and they did in reality speak to me, and though I was hated and persecuted for saying that I had seen a vision, yet it was true, and while they were persecuting me, reviling me, and speaking all manner of evil against me falsely for so saying, I was led in my heart to say, Why persecute me for telling the truth? I have actually seen a light. I knew it. I knew that God knew it, and I could not deny it, neither dared I do it. At least I knew that by so doing I would offend God and come under condemnation." Close quote. There are several other accounts of the magnificent vision near Palmyra recorded by the Prophet's associates or friends before the Prophet's death who at various times heard the Prophet recount the first vision. These accounts corroborate the first vision as written by Joseph Smith himself. In the accounts of the Prophet and his mother Lucy Mack Smith, there is also considerable historical background which has been confirmed by secondary sources as being accurate. As an example, the Prophet refers in the published account of the first vision to the religious fervor in the area where the Smith family was living at the time. Among others, Brigham Young later affirmed, I very well recollect the reformation that took place in the country among the various denominations of Christians, the Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, and others, when Joseph was a boy. Close quote. Three years following the vision near Palmyra came the visit of the angel Moroni. Later, Joseph received the plates of gold and translated the Book of Mormon from them. He subsequently received the keys and powers of the Holy Priesthood of God and established the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Joseph Smith's stated purpose in relating his history was to disabuse the public mind and put all inquirers after truth into possession of the facts as they have transpired. What was learned from the first vision? One, the existence of God our Father as a personal being and proving that man was made in the image of God. Two, that Jesus is a personage separate and distinct from the Father. Three, that Jesus Christ is declared by the Father to be his Son. Four, that Jesus was the conveyor of revelation as taught in the Bible. 
5, the promise of James to ask God for wisdom was fulfilled. 6, the reality of an actual being from an unseen world who tried to destroy Joseph Smith. 7, there was a falling away from the church established by Jesus Christ. Joseph was told not to join any of the sects, for they taught the doctrines of man. 8. Joseph Smith became a witness for God and his son, Jesus Christ. The first vision is confirming of the fact that there are three separate gods. God the Father, Elohim, to whom we address our prayers, Jesus the Christ, Jehovah, and the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, through whose Spirit we may know the truth of all things. In the account of that profound theophany, the instruction came from Jesus. President Joseph Fielding Smith said, I would like to call your attention to one little thing in the first vision of the Prophet Joseph Smith. It is very significant, and Joseph Smith did not know it. If he had been perpetrating a fraud, he would not have thought of it. You will recall in your reading that the father and the son appeared, and the father introduced the son and told the prophet to hear the son. Now, suppose that the prophet had come back from the woods and had said that the father and the son appeared unto him, and the father said, Joseph, what do you want? And when he asked the question, he told him what he wanted. The father had answered him, then we would know that the story of the prophet could not be true. All revelation comes through Jesus Christ. I have not time to go into the scriptures and give references for that, but that is the fact. Close quote. What resulted from the first vision which opened the prophesied dispensation of the fullness of times? First, the Book of Mormon, another witness for Christ, was received. Second, the priesthood or authority to perform the saving ordinances was restored, including the sealing powers of the priesthood. Third, the Church of Jesus Christ was again organized on the orb. Fourth, revelations came to the Prophet Joseph Smith for the building of the kingdom of God upon the earth and declaring the universal salvation of mankind. Fifth, keys, principles, and powers were restored for the carrying out the three great missions of the Church, the preaching of the gospel, the means of perfecting the saints, and temples and ordinances therein for the redemption of the living and the dead. What of this man Joseph Smith who communed with deity? What was his reputation? What effect of any did the great vision near Palmyra seem to have upon him? As promised by the angel Moroni, both good and evil has been spoken of him since. The New York Sun in the late summer of 1843 said, that Joe Smith, the founder of the Mormons, is a man of great talent, a deep thinker, an eloquent speaker, an able writer, and a man of great mental power. No one can doubt who has watched his career that all his followers are deceived, we all believe. Few in this age have done such deeds and performed such apparent miracles. It is no small thing in the blaze of this 19th century to give to men a new revelation, to found a new religion, 
establish new forms of worship, to build a city with new laws, institutions, and orders of architecture, to establish ecclesiastic, civil, and military jurisdiction, found colleges, send out missionaries, and make proselytes in two hemispheres. Yet all this has been done by Joe Smith, and that against every sort of opposition, ridicule, and persecution." Close quote. A Mr. Reed, non-member of the Church, said of him, The first acquaintance I had with General Smith was about the year 1823. He came into my neighborhood, being then about 18 years of age, and resided there for two years, during which time I became intimately acquainted with him. I do know that his character was irreproachable, that he was well known for truth and uprightness, that he moved in the first circles of the community, and he was often spoken of as a young man of intelligence, good morals, and possessing a mind susceptible of highest intellectual attainments." End of quote. Josiah Quincy, mayor of Boston, said of him, A fine-looking man is what a passerby would instinctively have murmured upon meeting that remarkable individually. Close quote. William M. Allred, one of his followers, stated that some straight-laced people had problems with the prophet Joseph playing ball with the boys, said Allred, referring to the prophet. He then related a story of a certain prophet who was sitting under the shade of a tree amusing himself in some way, when a hunter came along with his bow and arrow and reproved him. The prophet asked him if he kept his bow strung up all the time. The hunter answered that he did not. The prophet asked why and he said it would lose its elasticity if he did. The prophet said it was just so with his mind. He did not want it strung up all the time." Close quote. William Taylor, President John Taylor's brother, said of his personality, Much has been said of his geniality and personal magnetism. I was a witness of this. People, old or young, loved him and trusted him instinctively. He explains, My devotion to the prophet was akin to that felt by all who came under his influence. Joseph's personal magnetism was confirmed by his wife Emma in a letter written to one of her sons after the prophet's death. I do not expect that you can do much more in the garden than your father could. And I never wanted him to go into the garden and work, for if he did, it would not be fifteen minutes before there would be three or four or sometimes a half a dozen men around him, and they would tramp down the ground faster than he could hold up." Close quote. The practical sage Brigham Young died with the name Joseph upon his lips. He previously had said, I honor and revere the name of Joseph Smith. I delight to hear it. I love it. I love his doctrine. I feel like shouting hallelujah all the time when I think that I ever knew Joseph Smith, the prophet whom the Lord raised up. I am bold enough to say that Jesus Christ accepted no better man ever lived or does live on this earth. I am his witness." Close quote. My associates and I are also his witnesses. We are eyewitnesses of the fruits of this work worldwide.
the followers of the restored gospel of Christ can be found in over a hundred countries of the world. In the main, they are decent, sober, chaste, honest, law-abiding, family-oriented, patriotic members of the countries in which you live. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, neither of a bramble bush gather they grapes. At the very heart of this great work of teaching and establishing the gospel of Christ is the first vision of the boy Joseph near Palmyra, New York, in 1820. Too much has happened to dismiss this magnificent vision as a non-event. Since no one was with Joseph when this great vision took place in the wooded grove near Palmyra, a testimony concerning its reality can come only by believing the truthfulness of Joseph Smith's own account, or by the witness of the Holy Ghost, or both. I have such a conviction. It is a sure conviction that lies deep in my soul. As a special witness of the same Christ who appeared with the Father and the Son and instructed the boy Joseph, I bear witness of the truthfulness of the magnificent first vision near Palmyra. I declare this in all soberness, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. What makes it possible, I think, is that you're all great friends. In the Lord's special revelation on government in the Church, he says that the First Presidency is upheld by the confidence, faith, and prayer of the Church. On behalf of these six who have just been called, I would like to express to the First Presidency our confidence, our faith, and our prayers. We love the First Presidency, and we appreciate the confidence they have in us. I would also like to thank those of you who have expressed your confidence to us. It's the only possible way we can do this. We have felt a rich outpouring of your love, and that has been an outstanding experience. I'd like you also to know that we have felt the love of the saints throughout the Church, especially on behalf of myself. I would express the love of my fellow California saints who are here in such great number, and those great saints in Idaho. And if I could be allowed a point of personal privilege, those great missionaries of the Idaho Boise Mission. I feel their strength. Of course, our families are the essential cornerstone of that sustaining love. It's tremendous to be, belong to this great church. Now as to the calling, the awesome calling which has come. The 70 are called to preach the gospel and to be a special witnesses unto the Gentiles and all the world. As I've searched my heart, I think the only qualification I can think of, and I believe I speak on behalf of my brethren, the only qualification I can think of is that we have an especially strong witness of this work. I testify to two things. One is that there is a real Jesus, the Christ. He has a personal interest in each one of us. And secondly, 
If we seek him, he brings to us the peace which passeth all understanding. Last October, I was on a trip across the mission. I was near a little town called Fairfield, Idaho, and I was reviewing the scriptures. I was reviewing the first vision which I'd ask all of our missionaries to memorize, found in The Pearl of Great Price. And as I reviewed that beautiful account from memory, I had a singular experience. There came to me a very, very special witness that what was recounted by Joseph Smith in those words which he wrote in the Pearl of Great Price was exactly what happened. In a sense, I experienced, as it were, the first vision myself. And I became a witness to it, a personal witness through the power of the Holy Ghost. I bury that witness that the Father and the Son did appear to Joseph Smith the prophet. I imagine that my experience was very similar to that many of you have had. When President Hinckley called Thursday afternoon, that's when we had the first inkling that some change was up in our lives, he said, Brother John, I'd like to interview you and Sister Carmack. I'd like to have you take the first flight out tomorrow morning and meet me in my office. Then he added, don't worry about this. That was a big, big help. <laughs> the medicine didn't work. We worried. But during the early morning hours, the Savior and his Holy Spirit have reached us and have comforted us. We felt his peace. It became possible. May I suggest to all of the church, and particularly to you young people and you missionaries throughout the world, don't neglect those early morning prayers to our Heavenly Father. Through those prayers, you reach him, and you can also reach his Son, the Savior. And through that, you can have peace. For we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with a feeling for our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I think it was C.S. Lewis, and I, I believe he was quoting George MacDonald, who said that we're, we're like a house. When Christ comes in, it hurts abominably. We knew the roof and the gutters needed fixing, he said, but all of a sudden we find that he starts putting up a new story here and he shoots out a new wing there. We knew that the cottage needed fixing and those things needed doing, but this? Well, Christ's love can be tough. What, what is he trying to do with us? In his bestseller, Dr. Peck said that in this, this book called The Road Less Traveled, he said that no matter how much you may pussyfoot around it, all who ask the question what God's love is leading to come to a single terrifying conclusion. God wants us to become himself. We are being prepared for Godhood. And it hurts. And it hurts abominably, but there is peace. In those early morning hours, there came to my mind the theme from Ralph Rogers' third Nephi play. I hear my Savior's love. 
in everything I see. I know I will follow him, give all my love to him. I feel my Savior's love, the love he freely gives me. On behalf of these brethren who have joined me, we pledge our energy, our love, our prayers, our faith in humble obedience to a call we did not seek. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, President Benson, I'm trying to uh, pronounce my name. <laughs> my name is Yoshi is good and Hiko is echo. So when I come to the next world, I may change. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, President Benson. My friend Milton has six children. His lovely wife just died in a traffic accident. Left with his beautiful six children, one day his six-year-old daughter came to his bedside and with the tears. Milton thought uh, she had a fight with the brothers. No, no, Daddy, she said. I feel lonely. Where is Mom? I want to see Mom. Father embraced her and told her that we will meet Mom again. She is with the Heavenly Father now, told the Father. The other day again, that four-year-old daughter came to the grandmom. Will my mom ever come home? Grandma embraced and kissed her, and she is with Heavenly Father. The mother of an 11-year-old boy became very serious ill. His father brought her to Salt Lake from Arizona. A few days later, this young boy wrote, we feel all now we will take better care of Mama if she comes home soon. We were very lonely without you, Mama. We are very busy around here. We received a telegram and were very glad to know that Mama was out of danger. And I think I'll close this letter. And for this is getting bedtime. Sister Allen told me in the religion class that we should go to bed at 8 o'clock so we could have enough sleep. Now it's nearly half past 8. Goodbye, your loving son, Spencer Kimball. The very next day, after he mailed this letter to Mom, his mother passed away. The next day, the bishop received a telegram and all the Kimball's children called out from school. They all ran home for the joy. But Bishop told them, your ma is dead. President Kimball later told of that incident. It came with a thunderbolt. I ran from outside in the backyard to be alone in my dirge of my tears. And I sobbed and sobbed every time I said, Ma, the word of Ma, fresh tears the gushed forth until I was drained dry. Ma, dead. But she couldn't be. The life couldn't go on for us. My 11-year-old heart seems to burst. Why death? Why sickness? Why tragedy? Why must I go in suffering and disappointment? 
Why must I have to face the deep waters of life? And why must I go through the rivers of sorrow? When I was five, my father passed away. And four of us, the children, became fatherless. And because of the World War II. And we, our lives had drastically changed and we became so poor. One day I clearly remember I was playing at the park and every boys play with the fathers they owned, but I didn't have. And I said to myself, I wish I could have my father. We know a little the will of the Lord, then we judge the Lord often with our small wisdom. I speak to those who walk in the deep waters of life and the rivers of sorrow. I testify to you that the Lord loves you. And Jesus Christ, he will never forget you. The Lord said, my son and my daughter, all these things shall be give thee for experience and shall be for thy good. President Kimball told and teach us, being a human, we would expel our, from our lives the physical pain and mental anguish, assure ourselves of continued ease and comfort. But if we close our door upon a sorrow and distress, and we might, excluding our greatest friends and benefactors, suffering can make the saints people as they learn patient and long-suffering and self-mastery. I repeat, suffering can make saints people as they learn patience and long-suffering and a self-mastery as long as we live righteously. Let's all learn from my friend. One day he was on the swimming at the party got given by the company for which he was working at the summertime in Nebraska. He dove into the river and hit the shallow spot very hard. Broken neck was his diagnosis, and his whole body was immediately paralyzed. He even lost his capacity to breathe. Doctors said he may not make it through that night. And he earned a BA degree in political science after serving in a mission in Japan. At that time, this tragic accident, he had just one year left in the law school at the BYU. He was married then and had a two children. This tragic accident changed his whole life, like from day to night. He wasn't sure whether he would make it until tomorrow. It was inconceivable, the emotional and the physical pain that he must go through as a quadriplegic. Even though he was his condition in his University of Utah Medical Center, he was determined to graduate from law school. It was an almost impossible task. But good friends, true Samaritans, brought him notes, tape, lectures from Provo. Oh, God bless these true Christians. He turned the pages by Mastic. And if his book flipped a chart, he waited for a long time until someone came to help. Finally, he graduated from school and passed the Utah bar exam, became a licensed attorney while he was studying and exercising maintaining doctor's contact 
for gaining strength, his wife took his two sons and divorced him. This was his most sorrowful and a very heavy period of his life. But he never complained. Even blessed the living loved ones in his heart, he prayed, O Lord, thy will be done. It was his own garden Gethsemane, and he took his own cup and drank it as his blessing. In the hymn, How Firm a Foundation, we sing these words. When through the deep waters call to thee go, the rivers of sorrow shall not thee overflow. For I will be with thee, thy trouble to blast, and as sanctify to thee the deepest distress. My friend Meg met a beautiful lady, Cheryl. They married, and now the greatest joy come to their lives. His wife is expecting a baby. It is a miracle. The Lord said, I will be with thee, thy trouble to blast. Not only that, last Friday, they were sealing the temple, and I witnessed, and I have privileged to perform this beautiful couple. The mixed present said, he's the most humble and faithful. And his secretary said, time has always been important to him. And a span of his few brief seconds means different, and he has no wasted time and accomplished more than ever. The Lord said, power within them. You and I have that power, the greatest power, the power of love. We can feel the Lord's love, and if we but listen in a sense, our kindly Heavenly Father gave us the power of love, power to think, power to have faith, Power to pray, power to create, power to feel, power to see, power to touch, power to speak, power to care, power to have a concern, and power to share, and a power to give, and finally power to thank, especially power to love. The love is the greatest gift of God, brothers and sisters. If you and I have this greatest power, the power of love. We can walk with His Spirit, even with a troubled water. Let us count our blessings. When upon the life below you are the tempest toast, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and count your blessings. See, God, God, what has done. Count your blessings. Name they one by one. And count your many blessings. See what the God has done. Are you burdened with the Lord of care? Does a cross seem to have your load? Count your blessings. Every doubt will fly. And it will singing as the days go by. So miss the conflict with the great or small. Do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angel will attain, and a help and a comfort to your give your journey to the end. Let us not judge the Lord wide wisdom with our small mind. Are you divorced? Are you unhappy? Are you handicapped? Or are you unloved? 
Are you paralyzed like my friend? Are you angry? Are you hate someone? And are you have a bitterness towards someone? Are you single mother because of your husband just took off? Are you lonely because of your husband just passed away? The Lord said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find the rest unto your soul. And my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I bear you my testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I bear you. He himself testified his greatest sacred mission when he appeared to the Nephites. Arise, come forth unto me, that you may thrust in your hands into my side that you may feel my hands of my feet of my nails, that you may know that I am a God of Israel, that you may know that I am a God of the whole earth. I have slain myself for the sins of the world. I know that He lives. I know that He loves us. And I bear you my witness. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. A few years ago, I found myself in a small city park which was covered with trees and adorned with monuments, a plaza, typical of many found throughout Argentina. I was watching a sculptor as he used a hammer and a chisel to put the finishing touches on his project. His artwork portrayed a mother holding a child in her arms. The artist was working to perfect the hands of the mother which were fashion of marble, and the results appeared to me to be masterful strokes in the sculptor's own style. As I stood there, fascinated, eager to grasp the knowledge of the artist's skill, a shoeshine boy passing by stopped and stood by me. After attentively watching the progress of the final touches for a few moments, the industrious young boy turned to me in amazement Ask it, sir, tell me, why is he breaking it now? The youth's naive and unexpected query gave me cause to contemplate the examples which we constantly set, the impressions we give by, by our actions and our behavior. It made me realize how extremely important our examples can be, as is the force of or weakness with which we convey our personal convictions in our everyday life. Subconsciously, the words of Paul came to my mind. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? According to the radius of our activity or within our sphere of responsibility, each one of us influences a certain number of God's sons and daughters. Our attitudes, actions, and words convey messages to others which in some way affect the lives either positively or negatively. Our actions are the results of our ignorance or the fruits of our knowledge, the results of our disbelief or of the testimony which we possess. 
We cannot escape from ourselves or from that which we hold in our hearts. We become that which we pursue. The examples which we set and the life we live is a reflection of all that we truly are. In the words of counsel which Alma gave to his son Corianton, we see an illustration of how ill feelings that are harbored in our hearts lead to actions which set bad example, with consequent adverse effects in the lives of others. Suffer not yourself to be led away by any vain or foolish thing. Suffer not the devil, the, the devil to lead away your heart, for when they saw your conduct, they would not believe in my, my words. On the other hand, Nephi gives us, gives us a very meaningful example of the power of a testimony, which produces an attitude of certainty and leaves no room for doubt. When he was faced with the request from his father Lehi, he answered, I will go and do the things which the Lord had commanded. He did not say, I will go and see what happens, or I will go and see what the circumstances are, which would have caused confusion and uncertainty. But rather, his attitude was one of a person who does not doubt and one who acts accordingly. It is interesting to note that Nephi did not only express his decision and determination to be obedient in carrying out his father's request, but he further explained it, the reason for acting in this manner when he said, For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the things, the thing which he, had, he commanded them. On another occasion, Nephi received the following assignment from the Lord. Thou shalt construct a ship after the manner which I shall show thee that I may carry these people across the, these waters. After receiving this commandment, Nephi's reaction was not the usual one that many people would expect or that would be a logical response for some. Look, Lord, I have never before built a ship. I don't know how to do it. That which you ask of me is more than I can do. Furthermore, my brothers will certainly be opposed to this, which will make the task much more difficult. Is there not some other way to accomplish this project? No such thoughts were alternative used by Nephi when he made a decision. His answer simply was, Lord, whither shall I go that I may find ore to molten that I may make the tools to construct the ship? In these words, Nephi's firm determination and his decision of doing what was asked of him are reflected in carrying out the mission which the Lord had assigned to him. Then, in the course of events, when his brothers began to murmur against him and oppose building the ship, he confronted them with the mighty strength of his testimony, saying, If God had commanded me to do all things, I could do them. If he should command me that I should say unto this water, Be thou earth, it should be earth. And if I should say it, it would be done. And now, if the Lord has such great power and has brought so many miracles among the children of men, how is it that he cannot instruct me that I should build a ship? Attitudes and actions which produce teaching examples are those which are motivated by a strong testimony. The convictions we treasure in our hearts are more important than our very lives if those convictions and treasures are the result of a fervent, fervent testimony.
one received through revelation. They give us the, kin the kind of courage which allow us to face the trials of life with the assurance that our Father in heaven will approve our action, regardless of the circumstances which surround us, the ignorance of many, or the hardship of the trials. In the world today, there are millions of people who are ready to do what seems possible, but the price is for those who are ready to do what seems impossible. If certain things can be done, personal efficiency and skill can carry them through. If it cannot be done, faith and testimony can do it. As sons and daughters of God, we have not received the commandments which show us the way to return to Him on a conditional basis, to fulfill only if it seems possible or if ideal circumstances permit. To be obedient to do that which the Lord requires of us has been and always will be a constant principle in the lives of those whom the Lord has called to be His prophets. As an example, we might mention that at one time the prophet Joseph Smith said, I made this my rule. When the Lord commands, do it. Without any doubt, Joseph Smith was a prophet with a great spirit of accomplishment and tenacity. On one occasion, he said to his, to his cousin, George A. Smith, Never be discouraged. If I were sunk in the lowest pit of Nova Scotia, with the Rocky Mountains piled on me, I would hang on, exercise faith, and keep up good courage, and I would come out on top. The life of the prophet of whom I bear testimony was an example of, what, of that which he proclaimed, having always given a clear message of his conviction, convictions and testimony. This kind of determination, an exemplary way of life, is not reserved for only a small minority, as some would believe, but rather it should be a constant attitude of those who desire to follow the Lord's counsel in order to attain the promised blessings. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. In the scriptures, we find examples of how through their actions, parents can send messages into the life of their children, which will lead them into the path, into paths of darkness, or, on the other hand, they can teach them clearly those things which will lead them into salvation. Jacob, speaking to the Nephites, told them, Wherefore ye shall remember your children, how ye have grieved their hearts because of the example that ye have set before them. And also remember that ye may, because of your filthiness, bring your children unto destruction, and their sins be heaped upon your heads at the last day. The dramatic power of example by parents in the lives of children is clearly demonstrated in those words. Sometimes bad examples, or the uncertain sound of the trumpet, which children receive in the home comes in the form of criticism of church, church authorities, or in speaking kind words and thoughts outside the home, but within it, speaking words which are harsh and brusque. The sound is unclear if children observe the payment of tithing, when, if it is convenient, or if they hear justification for not paying it in moments when faith weakens. It is a distorted sound when they see that observance of the Sabbath depends on which sports event is scheduled for the day or if the weather is ideal for an outing. Those who act in this manner can be compared 
to the person to whom President Hubie Brown described when he said, he who knows the precepts and neglects to obey them is like one that lights a candle in the darkness and then closes his eyes. Now let us consider the sure sound of the trumpet, the other side of the issue, in the example of Joshua, when it became necessary for his people to make a firm commitment and take a definite stand, he said to, the, to them in his final speech, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. But for us, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Imagine the impact it would have if every parent took the, the same attitude and the same determination which Joshua took. What a loud and clear sound the message would have when carried into the lives of the children. In the building of eternal families, we need more models, we need more guiding lights, and certainly we need fewer excuse makers and fewer advocates of darkness. It is one thing to talk about the gospel, but it, it is quite another to live it. It is one thing to preach about Christ, but it is another to follow in his footsteps. When the gospel is incorporated in the life of each one of us, it molds our decisions and determines our actions. Models and examples who teach the path to follow leading to life eternal are the results of living the principles of the gospel. In the great mission to which we have been called to be saviors of men, may we follow the admonition of the Lord. Verily I say unto you all, Arise and shine forth, that thy light may be a standard for the nation. We cannot fail in that trust, because our Savior Jesus Christ has shown us by example. Behold, I am the light. I have set an example for you. We know the goal. We have the example. Now let us put forth the effort and made the decision to follow in that path. And now, my beloved brethren, I know by this that unless a man shall endure to the end in following the example of the Son of the living God, he cannot be saved. In the name of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, amen.